Want to get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas podcast from Capital Group, home of American Funds Distributors, Inc., one of the world's leading asset managers. Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience by listening to the Capital Ideas podcast today. You may have been familiar with your toddler's stages of development, but do you know the stages of development your teen is going through? Stay tuned. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Thanks for being our listeners, and it is so important to us that you support our sponsors. So thank you for that, too. Is middle school really the worst time of life, or is it just the most misunderstood time of life? You know, even the words middle school or junior high, as it was known in my day, might inspire dread in most of us. And we likely all have some stories to tell mm -hmm. about those years. And, you know, there's rightly so some concerns and fears associated with these years of development, academic engagement plunges, conflict at home increases, things like that. But there's hope. In his book, Finding the Magic in Middle School, Tapping into the Power and Potential of the Middle School Years, Chris Baum invites us to tap into the amazing transformations that are happening for our tweens. And that when we take time to understand what's going on developmentally, we are well-placed to be the companion our child needs us to be. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to dive into this territory with you both. Well, I'm curious. You're a father. You're a leader in education. But what drew you to the middle school years to begin with? Well, it's one of those things you don't choose. It was my own middle school misadventures that I think put this hook in me. And, you know, I, I struggled a lot in middle school, mostly socially and emotionally. I felt disconnected. I didn't fit in. My family had moved. I, I experienced the story that we all tell each other that, oh, this is just the worst. And I believed it. You know, my experience kind of fit that story. And I went on and, you know, got to college thinking, whew, thank God I'm done with K-12. I'll <laughs> never set foot in one of those buildings. <laughs> and lo and behold, 20 years later, I've been only in those buildings. Mm. Uh, but it, it gradually dawned on me that this is a very pervasive story that middle school is terrible and it's it doesn't actually have a lot of truth in it you know we make it terrible by working directly against the developmental needs of middle schoolers and designing these buildings and classes in ways that make their lives really hard and yes. then they make our lives hard in return yes and we don't have to do this it's not inherently bad um, so that that's propelled me ever since that is so powerful it doesn't have to be terrible and First, my head is already fighting against you. Like, well, I don't know. It really is terrible. And a lot of parents are thinking that. We make it terrible. You are right. So many of the structures that we have set up for middle school age children and their families are not exactly supportive of the kind of development we all say we want to see in our children. Exactly. I mean, the, the thing that makes me laugh and cry is when you compare it to the early childhood years. So we know that there are two times in our lives when our brains are growing the fastest. Those are early childhood, 
roughly zero to five, and early adolescence, roughly 11 to 16. So early childhood, we kind of enshrine with this. These are such important years. We're going to really understand them developmentally, set the conditions just right. Whereas middle school, the other really important time, we just say, oh, God, I hope you survive. You know, what <laughs> if we treated early childhood like that? If we said, right? oh, it's going to be awful. Wait until you're six and then we'll talk. Yeah, And there's yes. so much more, I think, blame of middle schoolers. Yeah. You're the problem. You're not doing things right. Whereas, I mean, Janet, you have a grandson who's in those early childhood years. You don't look at Bo and be like, why are you not riding a two-wheeler yet, Bo? Come on. Right. Good perspective. Yeah. Or saying, rolling your eyes at a three-year-old and saying, why are you so hormonal? Like, yeah. You don't say that. Yeah. It I may have anything. said that. <laughs> okay. there, so Chris, let's, let's start at the beginning. Talk about the developmental stages that our tweens are going through. Yeah. So the essence of it, I think, is that Middle school is the last really big time of brain growth in our lives, middle school to early high school. After that, you know, it it slows down kind of for the rest of our lives. And in middle school, the major change driven by puberty is our brain reforming itself as a social brain. Mm -hmm. So all of the sensing that we all have as adults, where we notice, you know, the unspoken emotions, we notice groups and status all of that hardware has just turned on and it's kind of this shocking wave of information coming in of oh my god all this stuff is happening that i had no idea and it causes you to have to recreate your whole identity to find new ways of feeling valuable and it it sensitizes you as a middle schooler to the world of peers because mm -hmm. now that is what you can learn the most about and it's, it's evolutionarily smart because these are the people you're going to spend the rest of your life with. So you'd better figure out how to be around them and how to be a friend or end a bad friendship, join a group, lead a group. Those are the most mm -hmm. important things to learn. But the average middle school really shuts down our social interaction mm -hmm. or compresses it into, you know, 23 minutes in the cafeteria. And no wonder that becomes the most crazy social scene ever, if that's the only time they get to scratch that itch. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, I can say much more about the different developmental stages, but that core shift is into a social brain. And I want to get to the school structure because that's super important. Jen and I talk about that a lot, how school is not serving our boys mostly, but you talk in your book about these developmental stages of belonging, achievement, and authenticity. So you describe them, but then you also tell us what we can do as parents to help that to help support them, but also that it's important to move them through these yes, stages. Exactly. So just like in that zero to five range, you know, we know there are lots of different stages. And if we didn't understand a bit about those, we would be really confused all the time. Like, what on earth is my toddler doing and why? So it's the same with middle school. And in these times of rapid brain growth, we really have to know those stages. Otherwise, we'll tear our hair out or just misdiagnose problems. So for middle schoolers, the ground zero first stage after they have kind of woken up to the social world is called belonging, um, because that's the most important drive um, that characterizes that stage. A lot of other things are going on, but first and foremost, they need to feel like there is one group or at least one person that I feel safe with. 
that wants me to be here, that is consistent, won't suddenly, you know, exclude or reject me. And if they don't have that, there's no way they're going to learn or show up to their full potential. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. first and foremost is belonging. And we can talk more about how to engineer things in yeah. their favor. You describe that. And clearly that was exactly what I spent those middle school years struggling with. Um, it's why I will tell you those were the worst years of my life yet. Right. And we talk mainly about boys here for obvious reasons on boys podcast. A lot of the things that we as parents and adults, teachers see our boys doing that we're like, that is so dumb. Why is he doing these stupid things? They're working on belonging. It is Mm -hmm. that critically important. Agreed. I really love the rule of thumb that every behavior you see is the best solution someone has to the problem they're aware of. Yes. So even when, you know, I often see cases where maybe someone has verged on bullying or teasing that's too much. A lot of the time when you get underneath our own kind of strong reaction to that behavior, this was someone who was seeking belonging and they had terrible strategies to do it. You know, they're trying out jokes that are actually offensive or hurtful because what they really wanted was to connect and feel like I'm safe around this person. Mm -hmm. And they just didn't have a better route. So they were showing us their best possible solution. And before we get caught up punishing them for that, maybe that's necessary, maybe not. uh, We need to give them a better solution. Yeah. And this can look like I want to wear the same clothes as you. I want to have that same phone as you have or that same iPad or whatever it is. And I think we can all relate to that, right? We all have gone through that place of like, oh, I'll just dress like they do and then I'll fit Right in. now, it's Stanley water bottles as we're yes, recording it is. this. <laughs> By the time we release this episode, it could be something else. Yes. And actually, I write about the book about in the book about that concept of twinning and the way that we want to kind of totally copy someone else's persona is not unhealthy if it's brief. You know, if that's a a few months or a semester where you just try to be the duplicate of someone else in order to test out that identity, that can be a really natural developmental stage. I'm trying this on for size. Mm -hmm. Uh, The problem is when we get stuck in it. And if there are years where we haven't been, we haven't felt safe enough to express something else that's authentically from us, then there are ways that adults, I think, can step in and help. I can see the parents are, you know, they worry because, oh, he's too much like he's doing exactly like his friends are doing. And then, oh, when he steps out of that box and now he's trying on his own opinion and I'm going to dress this way, then we worry about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've got a lot to worry about. Basically. We do. <laughs> it's hard to get away from that. But, you know, in many ways, I think middle schoolers are identity scientists. They are like experimenters. They're Mm. trying to run different experiments in their identity lab of life and figure out what is authentically me. And that's Mm. that's an adult way to put it, but I think they're, they're very curious about it. And what we can do, one of the things we can do as parents is to help them have more experiments so for example, if they're with the same kids all day long, you know, they've got their school group, they have a certain story about them, an identity that kind of wraps around them in school. And sometimes that can be stifling as they want to experiment with other parts of themselves, but they don't want other kids to say like, oh, I didn't know you were into that or, oh, that doesn't make sense. 
But if they, you know, go to a, a different group after school or a different social group in the summer, that lets them be better identity scientists. They can run more experiments and start to figure out, oh, I do love this. And, you know, it's strange, but I'm a jock and a theater nerd or whatever combination is, you know, authentically them. They made a movie about that, you know, it's called High School Musical. Yeah. <laughs> a classic. It's a classic. We're all in this together. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. We just watched that in my house. <laughs> Love it. So belonging is, is key. And these other developmental stages, I can see, you know, connections between them because we're going to talk about achievement. We're going to talk about authenticity. Brief pause for these messages. So belonging is where you start. And these stages, you know, what's unique about middle school is it's the first time you're experiencing them, but it won't mm -hmm. be the last. Mm -hmm. So we can empathize with it as adults. You know, if we imagine, say, taking a job in a new town and we've got to move somewhere and restart ourselves, we actually go through exactly the same stage. We'll first wonder, like, am I actually welcome here? Did Was this the right mm -hmm. thing? Do people actually want me to be here? And that's a belonging question. Now, yeah. we might feel it a little less intensely than middle schoolers, because maybe we've been through a few cycles of it, but it's still pretty intense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at some point, if we feel secure, like, oh, people do welcome me here. There are some others that are like me here. Then we move on to achievement. And that's the next stage where we're trying to show what we've got. You know, back to our example as adults, you know, we've taken a new job somewhere. Now we want to show that we can do things of value. I want to show that this was the right hire. I'm glad that you got me here and I want to move up the rankings. And so for middle schoolers, once they feel that sense of belonging, that establishes a basic safety and they can move on to try to achieve. Now, achieve doesn't necessarily mean grades. Um, that might be the game that they want to play, but it could be sports achievements. It could be social achievements. There are more positive and less positive versions of achievements. But the essence is, I'm trying to show you that I can win this game, a game that somebody else made, mm -hmm. whether that's social status or GPA. I want to show you that I'm valuable, that I can do this. I can figure out how to win it. So I want to back up, parents, and yeah. highlight belonging first and then achievement. This is evolutionarily like who we are. We are a social species. And humans, if we do not feel like we have a safe place, that we are part of a community, that's it's almost like it's too much stress on us that we can't really achieve. We can't really operate and figure out what we're about because first and foremost, we have to secure that that social safety. Exactly. Without that, we're operating under threat. And we can do some things, but we won't take risks to discover parts of ourselves or to really build our gifts. We'll we'll play the game very safe, very defensively. Whoa, that is exactly what I did in middle school, Chris. <laughs> a lot of us. I mean, Whoa. that's it explains a lot of bullying. These are all defensive steps that you take when you don't really feel safe there. Well, and taken to the extreme, it's everything they've said about every school shooter, right? Mm. Yeah. That they don't belong. Yeah. So that first stage is so incredibly important. Mm. That's powerful. That's really powerful. And, you know, we'll circle back to this, but this backdrop to the conversation, we're talking about how important all of this is to our, our middle schoolers, kids in this age, their development. And 
acknowledged over here that we'll get to is the fact that this is not what our schools prioritize at this mm. age. This is not what our society prioritizes. It's school is about grades is about, did you do your homework? And that's where we adults spend a lot of our time. And already I can see like, that's not really helpful for them or us. No, I mean, ask any adult what they remember about middle school. And almost all of us will say, we remember some relationships that went really well or really badly. And, oh gosh, I don't actually remember much academically at all. And that's because we're not teaching in ways that are highly effective. It's mm -hmm. not memorable. And instead, it's the, it's the social environment that we remember because that's what we're tuned to learn about. So I say that to say, you know, we can stress a little less about academics in middle school because a lot of it is forgotten, overridden later. If we actually help someone finish middle school feeling like they have some sense of who they are authentically and they're confident and skillful enough to put that out in the social world, they've got some friendships based on their authentic sense of self, that is such a win. <laughs> that would help them so much later in life. They'll learn faster and deeper, find gifts. That is really what I think the goalpost should be for middle school. Parents, I'm going to say that again, because you, so many of you need to hear this and not just from us. Now we have Chris saying it too. Stress a little less about academics in middle school. That is not the most important thing that your son is doing right now. Mm -hmm. And yes, you may be disappointed in his grades. You may be disappointed in his effort. All of that. Push it aside. That is not most important supporting this development really is. So let's talk about, we did belonging, achievement a little bit. Authenticity is next. Yeah, so each of these stages has a time when they kind of peter out. So belonging at some point you realize like, I don't have to only be part of one group. Hmm. Like I can be different in different spaces and that's cool. And I can translate and code switch between them. And that means you're kind of done with some of that work. You've started to internalize that I can belong. So then you go to achievement as we just talked about. And at some point that burns out too. And you realize, gosh, like just trying to get, you know, one point higher on the test or, you know, one second faster on the run. It's like, okay, I'm not actually going to stress myself out that much about it. And sometimes we don't hit that stage until later. Like for me, I think that was well into high school when I started to roll oh, my well, eyes. Oh, for me, that was <laughs> yeah. well into like 35. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, True. that's fair. And I think some in some ways schools kind of try to hold us in the achievement stage and not really want us to progress because it kind of serves that purpose of, you know, you should stress about grades more than anything. Yeah. Um, but at some point for a lot of us, you know, there will be a time when we start to question, you know, is this really the measure of me as a person? Mm. And that's a sign we're starting to finish some of that work. And we're going on to this next stage, which is called authenticity. And these stages don't they don't jettison the last ones, they include them. Mm -hmm. So in that stage of authenticity, you feel secure that you can belong and you know how to get stuff done. You can achieve in at least one domain where you know other people really value you. And now you start to realize, like, can I be more of myself? And oh, P.S., who is that? <laughs> who yeah. am I exactly? And can I test that out and, and bring it into the social world? So back to the metaphor with adults, if we were taking a new job, this is when, you know, maybe we got the promotion and we're starting to feel like my position is secure here. They know that I'm good. And then we start to wonder, like, but what do I love to do? Like, what is actually my real contribution here? And that opens up a really juicy new phase of development that 
is possible for most middle schoolers, uh, and if not by middle school, then by high school, if we don't make it hard for them to access uh -huh. that. In the workplace, I can see that uh, part as when you start letting a little more of your whole self come to work with you. So, you know, at first, and this is my approach in new situations, like I am sitting back trying to observe what's going on, who's doing what, what's the relationships. Middle schoolers are pros at this. Yes. And then, okay, uh, now I'm starting to understand my job. So I'm going to do that and I'm going to do it really well. If I start feeling safer and that's been recognized, now I can draw on like maybe some of my other interests or my previous experience. And how does that integrate into what I'm doing? Exactly. And okay. it's a, it's amazing that we think that has to happen in adulthood, not yeah. earlier. Because I mean, the teens I know who are really healthy, who have had these great conditions, they go through that stage at, you know, 14 or 15 instead of 35 or whenever we all <laughs> experienced it. Yep. And not that we need to accelerate them, but I just think it's naturally available to them if we don't try to hold them in this, you know, grades are everything or social status is everything I kind agree. of world. I, I do not want to hold up. Um, I am not great at everything. I certainly made mistakes in raising my children. I mean, we all do. But I see a lot of Sam in this, Janet. Sam is my youngest son, Chris. He's the one who's 18 now. We gave him a lot of opportunity to like be himself outside of school because it was so clear. Like He's smart, but the school game was not the one he was interested in playing. He yeah. just... <laughs> He didn't care, like art class in fifth grade, he's getting in trouble all the time. And it's just, so he, for him, it was shop time. It was garage time. And he became very mechanical and he developed and honed all those things. And yeah, he is more authentic and knows himself better at 18 mm -hmm. than I did at 30. And I, mm -hmm. it's because he worked on those things. Mm -hmm. What a sign of success as a parent. I hope you pat yourself on the back a bit for that. That's progress. I'm telling you, I did pat myself on the back <laughs> for that. Sam turned 18 last week. He's number four of four. And I'm like, mission accomplished. accomplished. And I know, I'm like, yeah. Janet, I know it's not done. Like, no. they're still going to yeah. stress me out and I'm still going to worry. And uh, yeah, Chris, we were going to go out to dinner that night, both to celebrate Sam. And me, frankly. Yeah, good. And that's when I tweaked my back and didn't get to go out. But I digress. Yeah. Thank you for laying those out so clearly. And I can hear our listeners right now going, okay, got that. But then I send them off to school every morning. And then I'm getting the call from the principal <laughs> or the email from the teacher which we know, sorry to keep bringing Sam up, but you know, there's- I got I mean, so many of them. Ah. Uh, yeah. And it's so, and we've talked so many times on this podcast about the absolute monolithic system that we're working within. And so help us. Let's acknowledge the fact that for a lot of our kids, um, I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website. You get to take a little quick style quiz. Takes five minutes. And then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house 
for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me, so I'm 51, she's 41, and she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is, deal with it. Mm -hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, Increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit. With free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time, your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com slash ONBOYS. Winona, menopause care made easy. Middle school is also a time when they've taken away recess. They don't have that outlet for social or for movement. And so like a lot of boys end up getting in trouble because they're too antsy or they're creating problems at at lunch. Like, I mean, one of my other kids, him and his friends got in trouble all the time at lunch because like they're picking up the table and moving the table and they wouldn't let them go out and shoot hoops, but stay in the cafeteria. Don't talk. Don't move. This is the situation in which many of us have to function. How do we help our boys feel better about school? More on that after these messages from our sponsors. 
it's so hard and I, I'll try not to get into that rabbit hole of changing schools too much because I know it's beyond a lot of the at least short-term things we Yeah. can do but I just have to say that if a school doesn't give at least a third of the day for social and movement time it is holding our kids back developmentally A third of the day. That is not happening, I can pretty much guarantee, in any school. yeah A third it's of the day. Yeah. I know it's extremely rare and saying that might just inflame us more. So then I think our, our task becomes what are the things we can do as parents What to can we do? help when Mm the hmm structure is not necessarily supporting our kids' development. So first I would say is on just purely on us and it's to be weird. And I talk about this in the book and I love giving this suggestion and I'm giving it to myself too, which is, You know, we get used to parenting younger kids, especially if this is our first middle schoo
we anchor on it compared to later information. So in some senses, that's just a long way of saying first impressions matter. Yeah. But when we think about our kids, what it means is that we're talking to our 12-year-old now, but we're anchored on the first 12 years of their life. All this weight of experience of this is how they were at three or at six, and I would never let them cross the street alone. I would never let them do whatever they're now asking. And we're aware that they've grown a little bit, but we're still probably underestimating them. Yeah. We're letting those earlier impressions kind of flavor us. Whereas they are seeing, I'm changing so much. I'm practically an adult. <laughs> They're kind of overestimating themselves. Yeah. And that gap creates a lot of conflict in households and in schools. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it means that if, if we feel like we're in our comfort zone, giving them just the amount of responsibility that feels right to us, almost for sure we are babying them, underestimating them. And they're going to not like that at all. They're going to yes. be pretty pissed about that, feel not yes. trusted. So and that's so while, while yeah. we, from the perspective of adulthood, can look at them and go, hey, uh, you got a lot to learn yet. I know you feel grown, but uh, having experienced it, there's a lot that happens between, say, 14 and 24 and 34. <laughs> yes. And yet, you cannot convince a child that they are not growing. They are growing. They want to test that out. They want that more responsibility. Let's go back to, you know, being a companion and walking with them and modeling some of this and negotiating and why, you know, let's not shy away from negotiating with our children. That, that taps for some people into this older model of parenting where I'm supposed to be the authority and it's like, oh, I don't know. But why is it appropriate? Yeah. So I've been for a long time trying to find the right metaphor to offer all of us to shift that parenting model. And mm -hmm. the one I've kind of settled on for now, at least, is the idea of being a wilderness guide. So imagine that your child has hired a guide to go with them on a big epic trek, because middle school is definitely an epic, heroic journey. <laughs> There's no question about that. And think about what a guide does in that situation. Or imagine it if you were going on a big trek. Like that person has real authority and they're not going to negotiate if what you want to do is try, you know, jumping off of a cliff. There's a firm boundary yeah. there. But most of the time, a good guide is listening to you and accompanying you. If you want to take the harder route, sure, go for it. If you want to stop for a while and just kind of look at the mountain and be amazed, like, great, I'll sit and be amazed with you. I'm not going to lecture you the whole time. I'm not going to force you to take my road only. That you know, you wouldn't hire a guide if that's the kind of review they were getting. Right. So I think for a lot of us as parents, if we just imagine, you know, say you're going on a big wilderness trek and you could get to hire one person to come with you, what kind of person would you want? When you answer that question, I think you're basically defining the job description of a parent of adolescence. That's really powerful because you're right. I mean, a great guide has knowledge and expertise, like a wilderness guide. I'm going to expect this person has uh, some knowledge of backcountry risks and knows how to survive things that like I might not be able to handle on my own. That's why I'm with them. At the same time, this guide, they take into consideration my preferences, my capabilities, and my style. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the negotiation that is totally okay and, and positive to do because you're listening and you're in relationship. It's not, you know, you don't hire a boss to go with you on a heroic adventure. You hire a guide. And so that's, that's our new job. I just flashed to the Lord of the Rings and uh, Sam and Frodo, right? 
you know, like uh, Sam was not the wilderness guide, but he was there to be a companion and a support to Frodo. And he provided comfort and encouragement. And what if we used that as our model? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You talk about companioning in the book and companioning is not being a friend as this right. metaphor is very clear about. Yeah. Uh, you still need to be that adult and the the wise the wise guy the wise leader and so you know parents i encourage you just to really really live into that and process that and even think about wow what would if that what would that have been for me if i had had yeah. that in middle school and maybe you did have that in some way, maybe it was a coach, maybe it was, mm. you know, the music teacher, maybe it was an aunt. I had it. My mom was a twin and her twin was my guide. Like my mom couldn't mm. do it because I was mad at my mom all the time. But my my mom's twin sister was that person for me. So, you know, we want our parents to step into that role, but recognizing there's also other people. And I'm thinking about a single mom that's parent that's momming a 14 year old right now. And it is rough. And, you know, that boy also needs some other guides, needs other companions on this journey. Exactly. And if I could also give one piece of advice to parents around that it's to not take it personally when your child looks elsewhere for yes. that guidance because at this point you have poured years of your mindsets and wisdom and way of being into them you've planted seeds that are not even going to sprout until they're in their 20s or 30s so and true you, you can trust that it's in there Yes. They have not forgotten about it. Yes. And the fact that they're looking elsewhere just means they can see further into the world now because of how their brains are changing. And they pick up that there are other people with gifts to offer them. And in a way, the more excited they are to do that, the bigger sign of success it is for you as a parent that you've created this kind of core safety and transmission of wisdom. And now they feel safe enough that they can go out. And now maybe the coach is the person they're most excited about, or this teacher, or also peers. It's not a bad thing. And if we anticipate it, we don't have to take it as personally. They're usually not directly meaning to reject us. It may sound like that in a heated mm -hmm. moment, but really, I think what's happening is their brains are turning them toward the rest of the world, you know, exactly as they should for evolutionary neurological reasons. That's where now they can get the most learning. Let's go back to this, Janet. You said it before. Like, this all sounds great, theoretically good. There are definitely things that I can work on at home. And my kid is going to this less than ideal school. And now the school is calling because he... I mean, fill in the blank. He didn't bring his homework again. He's disorganized. He did. He was trying to make his friends laugh at lunch and he did something that was inappropriate. Fill in the blank. How do I deal with this? Yeah. So, you know, there's the part of me that wants to say, you know, you got to call the school back and give them a piece of your minds about <laughs> how they're treating middle schoolers. But let's say that that's not the first option. I think the first step is really to not make it worse. So I love that school has made this child's life harder than it needs to be in a case like that. They have not yeah. understood what he's trying to do. He's trying to meet good developmental needs. And they've responded to that with a quick punishment or this call home. And you don't have to make it worse. You don't have to say, you know, what were you thinking? 
you could get underneath the layer of behavior and try to think with them about, you know, what are other ways to scratch that itch? So yeah, of course you want to hang out with your friends. Like, of course you want to make them laugh. Like, could we find more time for you to hang out with them on the weekends after school? Like, let's get you more time with them so that lunch period is not the only social moment in your yeah. day. That might be a starting point. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. You know, the other part of that, that I, I, here in it and correct me if I'm maybe mishearing and putting my own stuff into it, you know, don't make it worse. A lot of us as parents and maybe especially moms, I'm only a mom. I've not been a dad, so I can't really speak to that. Like there's this people pleasing part in me. I was the good girl in school. So I want the teachers to like me. I want the school to like me. Like this is a measure of success. That's my middle school kid still talking. And so our kid gets in trouble at school. And a lot of us, I think we feel like the right thing to do then is we need to also punish them. And I don't think that's always and maybe even often appropriate. Can you talk to that? I think we spend way too much time punishing and conceiving all these elaborate punishments when really we need to dig underneath that. We have to keep digging until we find the good developmental drive that was behind this. It's always there. And whether that was seeking belonging or seeking to achieve and feel valuable because other people notice that, one of those was at play. And once we've found that, then we have a good foundation to meet someone and say, I totally agree with what you were trying to do here. Um, the way it happened was maybe not great, but there are other ways that we can can meet that need. Yeah. And then we don't have to add on to the punishment. And I, I relate to that feeling too, of wanting the school to know we're good parents and we're doing everything we we're can. We're on your side. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And sometimes, frankly, it's educating the teachers about it. You know, I've been a teacher and it's an incredibly stressful job. You're managing all kinds of things and we get reactive, you know, just as parents do slapping a quick punishment on that because we don't have time to think about it. But if you've got that, you know, email or quick chat with a teacher, you could you could help them remember what they probably already know, that there's a deeper need he was trying to meet and let's help him find better ways to meet that. It may sound unsatisfying in a way to, you know, hear Chris say, Like, this is kind of what you can do. Uh, I think it's incredibly empowering. Yes, there is work that we all can and could do if we have the capacity to encourage our schools to, you know, do better. Rethink how you do this. There are better ways. And Chris, I know you work on this all the time, but it really is enough and very powerful. If you just take this approach. Listen, don't react right away when you get those phone calls. Don't feel like you need to add on an extra punishment. You too might be feeling like you don't have a lot of options about your son's middle school, but I hope you're finding hope. More on that after these messages from our sponsors. Where I live, I didn't have a ton of options for where my kids went to school. It just was what it was. So that's kind of what we did. I shared what I could share with the school. Um, If there was a consequence at school, like, you know, kid got lunch detention, which meant he had to eat in a room alone because he was goofing around in the cafeteria. Oh, well. All right, fine. Yeah. Fine. Fine. Let the school consequence be the school consequence. But we'll talk about it at home, like you said, try and address the deeper need and, and move on with life. And, yes. and attempt to build up, you know, belonging, achievement, authenticity, development. 
I think too, there's this aspect that we can, now that their brains are changing and they're seeing differentiation, that mm. school is not perfect. Your teacher is not perfect. Your teacher's having a bad day. Your your school is set up this way. And you're, you know, it's a system. And guess what? We're humans and we're mm. going to be in systems all the way through. So helping them begin to discern that, oh yeah, this is why it's this way. Because the teacher's got 28 kids and they've got to, you know, get through the next hour. So it's helping them kind of understand the outer world that they're that they're having to live in. It's not about, all about them because, you know, yeah. middle schoolers are pretty egocentric and that's developmentally appropriate, but yes. helping them to begin to see that, you know, they're, this this is a system that isn't perfect. And how can you uh, be yourself and still operate within the system? Yes. And if all the adults around them are focused on punishing them, they'll focus on resisting us. Absolutely. When, <laughs> when we're actually accompanying them, they can be reflective because that energy can go elsewhere. You know, back to the wilderness guide metaphor. If you just, you know, wandered into a patch of poison oak, even though you were told not to, you don't need the guide to then, you know, lecture you and punish you afterwards. It's like, oh, you could sit with them. You know, that sucked, huh? Yeah. Like, yeah. How are you feeling? And middle schoolers are capable of a lot of self-reflection. It's one of the awesome things about all those brain changes that they're becoming metacognitive. If they're not caught up in resisting us, they can actually reflect and be like, yeah, I think I know why that happened. Or I have a theory yes. and I could try something different. You know, they're, they're really capable of that. They're, they're a lot wiser than we give them credit for. Oh. Chris just shared some genius in there as well. That sucked, huh? That phrase <laughs> yeah. can get you through so many conversations with yeah. your with your tween, with your early adolescent. They don't need the lecture more often than no. not. Like they know when things went awry. They know when they didn't hit the outcome they wanted. Piling on just makes them feel terrible. That sucked, huh? That's the go-to. Yeah. I mean, we we feel like we're kind of responsible to deliver a sermon when we come yes. across these moments. Yeah. And, they don't need it most of the time. Usually it's not a lack of knowledge about what was right or wrong. It's that, you know, they slipped into a situation, they were trying to be cool or connect. So we don't need to pile on. We can yeah. just join them be like, oh, I've been there. Yeah. Actually, that just happened to me the other day, this work situation or share how we also have those struggles too. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because when you're set up in resistance to your kid, they're going to wear you down. I'm sorry, yeah, but they're going to wear you <laughs> yeah. well, down. Well, they have completely. so much more energy than we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so. You don't want to fight that battle. <laughs> nope. Yeah. You know, as a toddler, we wouldn't be telling them, you know, don't do that thing. We've got to recognize that it's a little more, you know, our, our middle schoolers can talk back, and but they can also think for themselves and have their own opinions and thoughts, and we need to listen. And I, I'm kind of chuckling inwardly because this whole conversation, Jen and I have just been nodding our heads up and down, <laughs> up and down in affirmation of everything you're saying. And um, listeners, I love this book. I highly recommend it. Even if you're maybe in fourth, fifth grade, you know, you this is coming. It's 
ahead. So uh, knowing more about it. So it's finding the magic in middle school, tapping into the power and potential of the middle school years. We know they can find the book anywhere, but where can they find you? Oh, thank you. Um, you can go to my website, which is just my name, chrisbalm.com. And I write a newsletter about every month or so about parenting and teaching adolescents and research nice. coming out and different ways to think about it. It's called Growing Wiser. It's free. So I'd start off there. Awesome. I'm going to put the links in the show notes, listeners, longtime listeners, you know that new listeners, check out the show notes. There's good stuff there. Jen works hard on those show notes. Yeah, yeah. Those are unusually good show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Oh, Chris, you've given us so much hope, so much new wisdom and I, I hope all of our listeners will look at their middle schoolers in a new and way more open way after hearing this conversation. Thank you. I hope so. It's something amazing to get to walk with someone who is literally transforming in front of you. And I think if we're open to it, it lets us grow like maybe we haven't since we first became parents. Yes. And that's the real secret gift in all of this. So thanks for having me on. It was great talking with you both. As Chris said, wonderful opportunity for us to grow. And listeners, you can help others grow too when you share this podcast with other parents, with educators, with school administrators. This is such a valuable, insightful episode. We are the On Boys Parenting Podcast, and we are your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink, of buildingboys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being our listeners and for supporting our sponsors. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.